1: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor,
0: apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. When someone truly gets the Gospel, they begin to live a life... The spirit of grace, mercy, and forgiveness.
1: Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, and thanks for joining us again here on Today with Jeff Vines. And today we're continuing Pastor Jeff's message: you owe. I pay. He's referencing the parable of a master and the servant that we find in Matthew chapter 18. The servant owes a vast amount of money but was forgiven the debt and set free. This passage helps us to look at the new economy of grace preached by Jesus Christ. Let's get back into the message now on Today with Jeff Vines.
0: In act two, the servant. Now you think about the freedom that he just experienced. He was going to go to prison. His wife was going to go to prison. He's going to be a slave and a servant. Generations after him, he's ruined their lives too. And they've not even been born yet. (laughs) So you'd think he'd go out, man, he'd be celebrating dancing in the streets. But he doesn't. He goes to a friend of his that owes him a denarii, which is lunch money. Compared to 10,000 talents. And he looks at the guy and he says, look. I want the money that you owe me. And his friend, who's on an equal playing field, gets down and begs him. Hey, give me time, I'll repay you. How does he respond? He takes him by the throat and throws him into prison. He violates in every aspect, the spirit, the tone, the word, the deed of his master. And I can just see the curtain closing at act two and everybody in the audience just sitting there stunned. What? This guy gets forgiven of a mountain of moral debt that just continues to accumulate. He goes out and meets his friend. He owes him some lunch money. (laughs) And he throws him in prison, which is uncanny because he could have actually paid back the debt. It was minute. It was small enough, just given time. He doesn't even give him time, just throws him into jail. (laughs) And then act three comes. Act three is interesting. Jesus says that there are some people who've been watching this. They've been watching in the wings. And this guy became famous. He's walking down through the you know, city streets and people say, look, that's the dude that owed the king 10,000 talents and the king released him and let him go free. But then they witnessed as he went out and found a friend of his that owed him just a little bit of money and saw him throw him into prison. And the Bible says, uses the word lupeo. They're frustrated because they're trying to harmonize the two events. How do you get forgiven so much? and for, You won't even forgive so little. And so they tell the master. When the master hears about this, he doesn't even wait for an explanation. He doesn't call him in for a conference meeting because his actions have revealed his heart. He's been given grace. You owe, I'll pay. But he's dispensed law. You owe, you pay. The next line is a shocking reality in verse 35. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What is the message Jesus gives? Stay with me. The message is there's an expectation. When someone truly gets the gospel, when they truly get it, they begin to live a life with the spirit of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I've learned something in my 28, 29 years of ministry now. There are two types of people in church. Yeah, in church. Forget about everybody out there in here. One, there are grace abusers, they know grace. But they're not really sad that they wounded the master. They're not really concerned about the day of accountability. And down deep inside, they don't really think they have a mountain of moral debt. They need a savior, but they just need a small one, not a big one, because they're basically good people. They take advantage of the staggering generosity of the king, the breath of life and community and intimacy and chocolate and coffee and all the things. But they don't really care about the heart of the king or becoming like the king. They're loophole people. They can say the right things and do the right deeds from time to time, but their motivation is simply to find a way of escape in case judgment comes. But they live in a manner that they choose. They have no real intentions of changing anything about their lives. And they like grace, but they only use it when they don't want to make any changes. In their mind, again, they're basically good people. They don't need a savior They work from the scale mentality. They really believe, as long as I have more good, and they actually believe they do have more good than bad. And they think, as long as I got more good, man, I don't really need Jesus that much. I mean, I'll take him. It's good to have him, but I don't really need him that much because if I can do more good things than bad things, I'll be good with God. They're like Raymond on Everybody Loves Raymond, one of my favorite TV shows, in an episode called The Prodigal Son. Can't believe HBO has an episode like this. Raymond... It's Sunday morning, and all the family's going to church except for him. And his daughter, Allie, asks him why he's not going. And he makes some lame excuse. Why did God put football in church on the same day? That's what I'm going to ask him. So Allie goes to church, and then she comes back, and she has a little drawing. She sits down with Raymond, and it's Raymond in some orange substance, which he learns is the fire of hell. (laughs) She's drawn it on Sunday school, but only not because her Sunday school teacher told her to, but because Raymond's father, grandfather, he says, why did you draw this? Because grandpa told me you're going to hell. (laughs) Don't you mean heck? No, he said hell. (laughs) So now he's livid. He has a conversation in the next scene with Deborah, his wife, classic interchange. She says, I'm just curious, Raymond, why don't you go to church? And he gives what is, (laughs) script writers must be inside the head and heart of humanity. Because he says, I don't need to go to church. I practice being a good person every day. I don't need to go to church to prove it. See, to him, it's about good, being good, being bad. I'm a decent fellow. I do good things. I always leave a big tip. And when a squirrel runs out in front of me, don't I swerve? (laughs) I'm considerate to people's feelings. Do you remember the time the plumber came over and he had that big eye, that Muppet eye, and I treated him just like a normal person. (laughs) And he says, so why do I need to go to church on Sunday to prove my goodness? I'm living it every day. And Deborah's response is classic. She says, you know, Raymond, since you're so good during the week, maybe on Sundays, we should have everybody come over here and sit around you. (laughs) He doesn't get it. Raymond doesn't. (laughs) Grace abusers don't get it. They think church attendance and giving offering, they think it's to appease God. See, they don't do it out of a heart of gratitude to be with the people of God because they recognize that everything that needed to be done for them has already been done. Jesus introduced the new economy of grace. You owe, I'll pay. And what they do, they do out of gratitude What they do, they want to be around the God who would offer such staggering generosity. They want to be around the people of God. Grace abusers give, but they don't do it because they're motivated out of goodness. They do it because they feel guilty if they don't. It's a necessary evil. But the identifying trait, and the reason Jesus tells this parable between the person who is the genuine, authentic deal and has had a... Jesus' revelation and knows who he is and the person who uses Jesus as a loophole and as a grace abuser, the identifying mark, the difference between the two is the person who has not yet really truly come to Jesus remains an unforgiving, grudge-bearing, bitter person. They just don't get it. They can't forgive other people or they won't. Even though one day a king came to them and said, look, this mountain of moral debt that you have is large, it's unending, it's accumulating, it's equal to a number you cannot count, it's growing every day. But you owe, but I'll pay. Now go live in the economy of grace. They heard what the king said, they liked what the king said, but they didn't know the heart of the king. So they became grace abusers. I'm saved by grace, therefore I can do whatever I want. I can remain unforgiving, unmerciful, unkind, I can take all the mercy and forgiveness of the king without giving it to anybody else. Which is why Jesus says in verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers. Who's the master? Who's the master in the parable? God. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart grace abusers. Thank God there are grace dispensers. Now stay with me. This is the end. There are grace dispensers. Grace dispensers are people who have really been to the cross and they get it. They don't overestimate their own goodness and they surely don't underestimate God's own holiness. They know that when they're before God, there is a mountain of moral debt. Even when they do the right thing, sometimes their motivation is impure. And because of that, they know that God is not the heckler in the stands who shouts at you when you drop the ball on the moral field of life and he says, you're a loser. I don't even know why I let you and my family, you know, leave, get away. No, 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 no. The God who introduced the economy of grace, you owe, I'll pay, is the coach in the locker room that says, hey, Jeff, you blew it the first half, but man, there's still more time. And with my spirit in you... You're going to be able to do amazing things. You're going to see things you've never seen, do things you've never done, feel things you've never felt. You're going to be able, you're going to have this sense of volition. You're going to be able to forgive as I've forgiven you because you understand the mountain of moral debt. And the natural result of someone who's truly been to the cross is that they just start to forgive people around them. Now, please don't look at me and say, well, you're a pastor. You got no idea how cruel the world can be. You are so wrong. When my mom died at 61, I've made the statement before that I never believed that it was possible to hurt that much and still be alive. But my mom's family is, and I know none of you have families like this. My mom's family waits for somebody to die and then they pounce to get what they can get, money, whatever's left over. Two days after my mom died, two days, my grandmother was in the front porch of our home and I was with my three brothers. I'm the second among four. Now, this is the grandmother that we've spent weekends with, that we've grown up with playing wiffle ball in her front yard, going to cookouts and picnics, all of our lives now. And now our mother has passed away. And she's already moving in for the kill for what she thinks she deserves because her daughter has passed away. I just put my hand up and say, Grandma, this is not the time to do this. There'll be plenty of time to do this. Don't worry. There'll be plenty of time to do this. But right now, we're hurting And her response was, why do I care about you? Your mother's dead. My older brother devastated him. We couldn't believe our grandmother said that. Am I supposed to forgive her? Yes. Because no matter what she said or did to me, it could never be as bad as what I've done to God. Have you never lived as though God did not exist? Yes, you have. Have you ever denied God? Maybe not verbally, but in your activity or your actions or your thoughts? Yeah. Have you ever lived apathetically toward God? Not praising God, motivated to worship him for the goodness and the staggering generosity? Yeah. Walter Wink writes about the Grossmeyers. The Grossmeyers... They were part of a uh, peacekeeping or making, rather, mission, emissaries between uh, the Christians in Germany and the Christians in Poland. They were sent to try to bridge the gap of division. And so representing the Christians in Germany, they went into Poland as emissaries, and they told the Christians in Poland, the Christians in Germany have sent us, they want to ask your forgiveness for what Germany did during the war. Their response was, what you ask is impossible. Every stone in Warsaw is soaked with Polish blood that they spilled. After spending weeks trying to bridge this gap, realizing they couldn't, the Grossmeyers ended uh, their endeavor the way they always ended. They gathered all the Christians in Poland or the leadership of Poland together in a circle. They voiced their disappointment that they weren't able to bridge this gap. And then they ended the way they always ended. He called on the lead delegate to lead them before they departed in the Lord's Prayer. And the lead delegate from Poland, representing the Poland Christians, said, Our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. He stopped. He looked up and he said, If I don't forgive, I can no longer say this prayer that I love so much. 18 months later, Polish Christians and West German Christians met in Vienna and established a friendship that lasts to this day. Here's what I've learned about forgiveness. Although the desire should be natural, the deed requires supernatural ability. You cannot do it alone. Make sure you understand what I mean by forgiveness. Forgiveness means that you authentically wish the person well. It doesn't mean that you go back into some relationship where you position yourself where the person can keep abusing you. When a woman comes to me and says, "Look, Pastor Jeff, I'm afraid my wife or my husband is beating me and he's beating the kids." My advice is, "Forgive him, but get out." You see the difference? Forgiveness may not mean that you go back into a marriage or back into a relationship where your life's at risk where there's abuse, mental, spiritual cruelty. But it does mean that you cut ties, but you wish them well. That means you stop daydreaming about how you're going to get them back. You stop thinking of ways of vengeance. The hate dissipates because your eyes have been open. Whatever they've done to you can not measure up to what we have done and continue to do to God. Corey Tin Boom was in Ravensbrook camp. And if you know anything about the story, oh man, the guards of Ravensbrook were notoriously brutal. They would watch the women take showers and abuse them and commit all kinds of experiments on them. I mean, it is horrific. Corey Timboom Boom lost her sister to one of the guards. After the war was over and all the abuse and the horror came out in the courts and the Nuremberg Trials, Corrie Tim Boone felt called of God to travel throughout Germany preaching the message of forgiveness and reconciliation, that that's the only way Germany could move forward. And so she did. She writes about these events in her book, The Hiding Place. And on the last few pages of her book, she tells the story of speaking in a church one weekend. And after she had spoken 30, 40 minutes on forgiveness, a man approached her, put out his hand. It was the one of the Ravensbrook guards responsible for her sister's death and the abuse in the showers and said to Corey, thank you for your message for forgiveness. And he raised his hand. In her book, she says, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark or warmth or charity. And so again, I breathe the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And she finishes by saying, As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened from my shoulder along my arm. And through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our own goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Can I ask you... Who do you need to forgive? Who is it? Is it your mom or your dad? He was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. All he did is scream and yell at you, abuse you. Maybe you were sexually abused by a parent. What does God call you to do? Forgive. Maybe it's a spouse. You were married 25 years and you walked in one day and found them with somebody else, you felt betrayed, the hurt, the pain, the anger, what do you do? Forgive. You actually wish them well into the future. Now, it means you've got to use your wisdom. Do you put yourself back into situations where they can do the same thing? Probably not. But you do wish them well, and you give up the right to hurt them. You give up daydreaming about how they could be wounded, about how God could use you to retribution, you give it up. You say, Jeff, I can't. No, 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 you won't. You can because the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can if you want. You've got a greater sense of awareness, greater sense of volition, greater sense of this ability to feel the presence of God. You've got it. You won't because what the person did to you is still more real than what Jesus has done for you. What the person did to you is still more real to you than what Jesus did for you. Because when you receive a Jesus revelation and realize what Jesus did, you owe, I'll pay, you will be able to forgive those who have wounded you. Is it a teacher? Forgiveness does not mean a lack of justice either. You know that, right? A teacher sexually abused you. Justice is from God. There are two separate entities, though. The government, the police, their job is not grace and mercy. Do you know that? Their job is justice, to protect the rights of the innocent, Roman 13. But your job as an individual is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? I want everybody to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer. Okay? Everybody. Now, if you're a little shy and you don't want to say it out loud, just kind of breathe it. Repeat after me. Dear God... I know I am a sinner. I have a mountain of moral debt. I confess that my own goodness will never save me. I ask you for your mercy and your grace through the cross of Jesus that my sins may be forgiven. and your Holy Spirit dwell in me, me. that I too may forgive others, as you have forgiven me. me. Now, every head up, every eye open, and let's give a round of applause for those who prayed that for the first time. That's the beginning point. Everybody has an action point. Listen, second, some of you need to write a letter. I'm asking you to write a letter to the person you need to forgive. The trouble with preaching a sermon like this is you get convicted by your own material. In the course of writing this, I realized there's a person that I'm still harboring great bitterness. Got to write it. And I hope my wife receives it well. No, I'm just kidding. You need to write the letter. You need to write the letter. You need to write the letter, okay?
1: Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of our look at Matthew chapter 18 and what we can apply to our lives from the passage. Next time, join me for a new message from Pastor Jeff.
0: It's better that you take one truth and get it firmly planted into your life than to hear five truths, none of which ever make it into your spiritual constitution.